probably one of the best screen blockers I've ever seen. Your ability in space to just seal that edge. It was kind of incredible what you guys were able to do uh, back in Cincinnati and still in LA, what you guys were able to do with you on screens. I mean, and just thinking back to some of the guys you played with and how long you've been playing, I was thinking like, I wonder how many of his teammates like know who Cedric Benson is. Oh, I know. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's funny when I bring up names like that, it always like is a good feeling and a horrific feeling because the reaction that their face has when they're like, wait a minute, you played with Cedric Benson. You know, it's like, I'm like, dude, (laughs) you just looked like I was 90 years old by your face reaction. Like calm down. Remember this. If you want to go quickly, do it alone. But if you want to go far, you do it together. We're like roaches, and you can't kill us. It's all just mental, you know. It's, it's those little things that you create that chip on your shoulder, and you create that vision in your head that nobody's going to work harder than you, and then you go out there and you prove it. Part of the reason why offensive linemen, uh, for, we're kind of sick and twisted people, but we have this like mushroom society, this club. Let's go! Chargers on three! One, two, three! Chargers! How has everything been? How uh, are you feeling uh, health-wise? How's the knee? It's good, man. Just uh, it's a process in the offseason, obviously, to get feeling good and healthy, and especially after an injury like that. So, you know, it's like you almost got to get that healthy before you can start moving on the other stuff. So. Sure. Absolutely. I remember we, well, we talked to uh, Austin this, this summer, actually, Austin Blythe, and uh, we, we were joking around with him about, you know, how he's still doing it and, and, and still kind of, you know, staying in shape and, and, and it, it's a process definitely staying healthy. But for you, it's, he even joked about, he brought you up and how you've been doing it longer than he has. So it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to kind of, to go through all that. Just by hair. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, you know, every year it's, it's, um, I think for linemen, especially really the, the physicality you take as far as the, the game and then really just the toll it takes really the whole process from, from lifting weights and, um, you know, hitting and impacting games and also all the practices. And, and, you know, I mean, I think those things all kind of take their toll and kind of, uh, have an impact on you. So really just your plan and the first couple months of the off season is such a, such a huge thing for, how you get ready for the next year in a lot of ways is it is it uh like more specialized especially i'm I'm sure you've seen some sort of sort of a transition from your time in college versus getting to the nfl where it's probably more you know position specific stuff where you know they're really trying to keep you keep you strong keep you healthy um and, and you're still doing it obviously yeah i mean college i think you you uh depending on where you play where you go you can get into a world of uh, maybe uh, I wouldn't say, you know, that it's bad, but just not necessarily things that are specific to, to playing the game and and uh, really taking care of your body and being healthy. Because, you know, uh, one of the biggest parts of playing professional sports to me, and I don't care what sport it is, is availability. You know, and it's, it's not talked about as much as it should be. Uh, and it's not just because I'm a guy that sustains over time. I just I truly believe that, you know, you're only as good as you're available. And, um, you know, you really look at it. I've always said this, um, and I truly hold it to be true, even this year when it's a situation that affected me. You look at it um, throughout my season. You know, I had a, it really felt like in the first nine games of the season, had a tremendous year going, um, playing really well. And if you want to go off metrics or different people that grade stuff or whatever, 
if you're going to say PFF's the standard, because it seems to be now in the NFL, right? You know, you're, you're grading out really high in PFF, and it's like, oh, you know, Whitworth's having this tremendous year. But the reality is I wasn't there for my football team the next seven games of the season. See, I've always said there should be a metric that really actually maybe not necessarily takes away from you, but, but averages out, hey, if I miss a game, that should be a negative. Like, I, don't, I shouldn't stay at whatever number I am because I played in never how many games and I had let, cause all anyone's played professional sports knows exposure and opportunity are the two things that dictate whether you're a really good football player. So I could play a really bad slew of defensive ends and have a tremendous year, but I, you could have a year where you play the league's best and you might've actually had a good year, but statistically it might not look as good as it was. So I just think there's things like you really look at those metrics that availability to me, like the matter, matter of games, the amount of games that you're available to your football team and playing at a high level is something that should be measured as well. Because, you know, playing 10 really good games and not being available for six of them, yes, it's not your fault. Injuries happen, but it does affect your football team. And therefore, it should affect your metric to be successful because you look at a guy like Trent Brown, right? I mean, this guy's unbelievable football player. And when he's playing, he's as dominant as anybody. But the problem is, is he hasn't been available. I mean, the Raiders didn't trade Trent Brown because he wasn't a great football player. They traded him because he hasn't been available. And, and that's, that's the truth in a measurement to me that, that really uh, doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to offensive line play. And I think, I think one of the great things that you said, um, obviously we're a football-based show, but Remember back over the summer, I heard something about uh, Cal Ripken, and I don't know how familiar you are with him, um, yeah. but obviously he had that crazy streak of games, right? And finally, when he was going to play against the Yankees, he decided to sit, and everyone thought something was going on. Um, and when they asked him about it, they're like, hey, Cal, like, what happened? Why'd you miss a game? He was like, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't the best fit for my team at that time. And I mean, the answer you just gave us as far as being available for your team, I think that kind of embodies what we try and highlight in this show. And we can't respect that enough that you're saying I've been able to do it so long because I think of it as when I'm not there, I'm failing those guys next to me. Um, so that same mindset of just kind of being available and doing it for the guy next to you is why we started this thing. And the fact that you came on here today and said that is, I mean, that's one of the cooler things we've heard. So we definitely that's appreciate awesome, that. Man. That's really cool. And then to also go off that availability you've always had, I mean, if there was a stat based off that, you'd probably be number one. So what do you think has been able to let that happen for you? Is it more your toughness uh, mentally and physically or maybe the work you put in recovery in and in the offseason? I think it's really a combination of all those things. I mean, when you put together what you do to prepare, uh, you got to be obviously really tough. I mean, I've seen young tackles, young offensive linemen that have come in the game that have the talent to play, but it always seems like there's a nick here or, or a strain here that they can't play through. And if they don't feel perfect, they can't play in the game um, or they come out of the game because if they can't play perfect, they can't play through it. And, and, I, and I understand it at my age, and I'm sure if you look at some of the guys that played for a long time, if it's Joe Staley, if it's Jason Peters, if it's whoever um, – you know, I'm sure that we're probably a little insensitive just because we've been through it. So maybe there's certain things that we're like, man, I, you know, I don't know what they're feeling, but we might be a little insensitive to like, hey, why would you have to come out of the game for this or that? You know, um, but the truth is, I think that's more so because we know that 
the only way you're going to make it the way you want to make it in this league and play the level you want to play and get rewarded the way you feel like you should is being able to do that. That, that to me, is, a, is another trait that's just, you know, not talked about enough. Guys who just play through whatever. I mean, <clears throat> I joke with guys like – it's not like I, you know – yeah, I had a significant injury this past year of tearing ligaments in my knee, but, you know, I've had patella surgery. I've had ankle surgeries. I've had shoulder surgeries. I've, you know, I've got two hip labrums that are torn. I've got two hip impingements where my hips don't even internally rotate anymore. I can barely kick. You know, like you just find ways to survive and keep playing the game. Uh, you have to be able to adapt and you have to be able to adapt your body. You have to be able to adapt how you do things. I mean, there's lots of techniques and things I would love to still be doing but my body can't do them anymore. So I have to find new ways to block people and new things to do to be able to get my job done. And I think that's really the, the ability that you have. You look at guys that play for a long time, they might necessarily make some drastic technique change, but they've had to make some changes to be able to stay in the game and to play the way they've played for that long amount of time. That's awesome to hear that, you know, someone like you who's played nearly, you know, 300 games between college and NFL, uh, you know, multiple time all pro is still getting better every day, learning new techniques. And, you know, you feel like sometimes you'll have kids who will aren't as coachable. And it's great to see you, someone who, you know, will still watch the film and see what do I have to change to become better? Yeah, I think that to me, that's uh, another one of those hidden gems. It's not talked about enough. It, you know, you really look at those things that that truly make players like if you really took every tackle in the NFL and you said, Hey, let's go compare athleticism to athleticism and strength to strength. I bet you'd be shocked. The guys who don't play compared to the ones who do. And, you know, a lot of the guys who may test out and measurements way better than most of the guys who actually play in football games. Um, to me, it's because those other guys don't have the abilities that actually matter. And that is, the ability to figure out how to adapt and how to find a way to get your job done, how to find a way to get your body to do what you want it to do, even when it doesn't feel great all the time, how to always be available for your football team, how to always constantly be learning and trying to find something valuable from the game that can help you be better. I mean, I think those are traits that, that really you don't hear the NFL draft guru talk about it, but that's the ones that's going to matter whether these kids make it. You know, you can show me their statistics all day. And I know plenty of tackles that have played for a long time in this league that were terrible at running. Uh, you know, might not have, might have had a horrific vertical jump. You know, I mean, name it. But the truth is the ones that figured out how to adapt and how to survive, they're the ones that end up figuring it out and having great NFL careers. Yeah, I mean, just kind of hearing somebody who's – at the highest of highs, right? You're at the, the highest of level of competition in your sport. Talk about how a lot of it is the int intangibles. It's the mindset. It's the things you can't really put a label on. Um, and that's probably, well, it definitely has a lot to do with why you've been able to do it for so long. Um, and one of the things we were curious about is kind of with how long you have been doing this and all those guys you've affected and played with or played for along the years, um, kind of what, what do you want your legacy to be when you decide to hang it up? Like, how do you want to be remembered by the guys that went through it with you? Um, I think, you know, really when you talk about legacy and all those things, I think it's another one of those things that every guy has a different thing that, that really they play the game for, you know, I mean, I mean, I think I've had to talk about this a lot and, and uh, you know, when it comes to people talking about, well, will you, will you not be a hall of fame candidate or will you, will you not like, 
your legacy to this or that when you're done. And you get that question asked a lot. And, and for me, it's one of those things that I've, I've known players and, and different tackles that I've gotten to be around that like, that's all they care about is like the notoriety. Like they want to go to, and I'm not saying in a bad way, just like it means something to them to go to the pro bowl. It means something to them to get all pro. It means something to them to like want people to say their name when they say going to the hall of fame, you know? Um, and, and I think that also there's certain guys that depending on where they're drafted, that's just a narrative to them as long as they play well. Like I've always said, if you're a top 10 pick in the offense, and it really even nowadays top 20 pick with media, if you're a top 20 pick as a tackle in the NFL and you play good your rookie year, you will be labeled a good player for forever. I mean, regardless, like it, you don't even have to get that much better. You just will be labeled that way because that's the narrative, right? And so – there's no – it's really hard to evaluate our position because there's not yardages. There's not things that you can truly separate unless someone's watching every snap and they're really actually understanding the ins and outs of what your job is to do, right? And so it's one of those things that when you get asked that question, it's like for me, I, I, I just – since it's such a position that I, you, I could sit here and argue, hey – you know, Jason Peters during this window was the best in the game. Trent Williams during this window of time was the best. I feel like I was the best during this window. I feel like Joe Thomas had a window where he was really good. You know, and I'm not talking about their whole time playing. I'm saying a couple-year window where they were at the top of their game. That, to me, I think you could make legitimate arguments about how good certain players were without question. You know, they deserve to be considered like one of the great tackles. Is that Hall of Fame worthy? Is it not? Who knows? So to me, legacy for me has always been about who I was as a player and a teammate. And so my real thoughts are when I'm done, uh, my hope is, is that guys that play with me will say like, man, that's one of the best teammates I've ever had. Like as far as caring about them, always there to help them, always there to try and push us all in the right direction. Um, you know, always willing to work, willing to do whatever it took for us to be better. I mean, you look at it, and, and and I think that to me, it's like one of those things I hate talking about as an alum, and you're just talking about yourself. But, you know, you look at the opportunities I've had to play for a franchise like Cincinnati, who was, before I got there and before I was there, regardless of whether that was me or not, not a winning franchise. You know, and a franchise, like I always tell people this, is like, what did you think of the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, before they went to the playoffs six times in a row or five times in a row, before they went to the playoffs six out of seven years? You know, like, well, you know, they were a horrific franchise. They were 2-14 and 14 almost every season. You know, just not a lot of success. Since I, when I got there, I mean, I went to playoffs six times in Cincinnati. I mean, most people, they're like, that's not true. I'm like, yeah, go look it up. We went six times. We won multiple division championships. Now, the narrative is you didn't win a playoff game. But I told somebody this the other day. I go, how successful do you think Tony Romo and the Cowboys were? Well, I think they were a really successful team. They never figured out how to win it. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals in my era won more games than Tony Romo ever won, right? Not a stat that anybody would think is even close to accurate. Accurate. The Rams hadn't won a division title or had a winning season in like 15 years since I was there. Haven't had, hadn't had a losing season since I got there. Won division championships, played in the Super Bowl, won football games. You know, you look at the decade of 2010, no tie. Like I didn't make the all-decade team or whatever the NFL says, right? Truth is, not a single tackle in that decade won more games. Not a single tackle in that decade went to the playoffs more. Only one guy went to more Super Bowls, and that's Joe Staley. He went to two. Nobody won a Super Bowl. If you want to say your top guys that were all pros and pro bowlers, nobody won a Super Bowl. 
uh, in that group that made, you know, the, the top 20. And Jason Peters was on a Super Bowl team, but he was injured for half the season, much, much like my season, really, except for he never came back towards ACL. So it's one of those things that it's like you can worry about all the ins and outs of who people think you are or aren't or what you're going to be. But to me, it keeps it simple by saying, you know what, I'm not going to get into those arguments and fights. It's my legacy and what I really care about is what people think of me in the locker room and what they think of me as a, as a person to them off the football field. And, and that I always left a legacy that they'd say, you know what, if my career was like this, guys, um, I'll be ecstatic and proud to, to, to have played this game and done it the way he's done it. And I think, to me, that's the only thing that matters because I'm such a fan of the game. Like, I'm a fan of Jason Peters. I'm a fan of Trent Williams. I'm a fan of Joe Thomas and Joe Staley and all these guys I've played with and now a bunch of the young guys that I talk to all the time. And so it's it's uh, it's for me, I, I'm too much of a fan to worry about whether people think I'm this or that or what it matters. I just want to survive, adapt, go out and play with my team and enjoy, enjoy a game that I love. And that to me is what my legacy should be about. Absolutely. Kind of transitioning a little bit. I mean, obviously, it's definitely related to what you've you've been saying, but you've obviously played for some some really awesome coaches dating back from your college career all, all the way into your NFL career with, you know, Coach Saban, Coach Lewis, and now uh, Coach McVay. Um, you know, in your opinion, you know, do you believe that, uh, you know, the impact of a coach, you know, like what type of impact uh, can a coach make uh, on a team and, and how, you know, what's what's the kind of the difference maker, especially in the NFL, um, that they can have between good and bad teams in the NFL today? Well, I think there's a huge, huge factor. I mean, coaches, obviously, I mean, you know, I think that coaching is one of those things. It's just such a hard, hard uh, thing to master in the sense that, especially in the NFL, you're talking about an ever-changing puzzle, right? With the salary cap, with really nowadays how, how contracts are done and how fast there's change. Um, you're, you're always trying to get the pieces to match up. Right. And so it, it's, it's a lot more difficult than people think, but I think of my career, I mean, the influence that coach Saban had, um, I mean, still a massive influence to who I am and how I do things today. Um, like I always say, I'm obviously an LSU guy, I always root for LSU, but I'd be lying if there wasn't a part of me that enjoys Alabama's success because, to me, it's not about rooting for Alabama. It's a confirmation of things that I believe in that, that football is all about and um, that I think he does extremely well, Coach Saban. And so it's, it's more confirmations that I believe Coach Saban's a tremendous football coach. And him winning only confirms those things to me that the way he does it is obviously uh, really, really good and really special. And so I've been able to share a lot of those things with Sean, you know, in our time together and and then I look at Marvin Lewis and Cincy and I think of just like what a good man he was and what a good leader in the sense of just how he carried himself and and uh, the class he did his job with um, and just the toughness that that was him uh, being a Pittsburgh guy and, and uh, born and raised and just being just you just knew he was just a tough man and uh, a man's man. And, and so being around him, I think as much as I appreciated him, you have the disappointment that we never like got over the hump of winning that playoff game for him and winning that playoff game for all the guys that were there, a part of that time of success. Um, but I think the further I've gotten away from that time, 
I've had a massive appreciation for, for what a job he really did. I mean, when you look at the league now and the money and the way it's spent and, and even being around the Rams and seeing the way that it's just, it, it is an even playing field, but it's not. And, and so when you got the kind of owners that can like do things with cash and make moves that other teams just can't do that aren't in that kind of position, they don't have another in, income stream or they don't have another opportunity to get money from somewhere else. Um, the limitations really that Marvin took over from not really even having a scouting department to creating all that, to all the things that were holding him back from, I mean, you look at our time there. I, I told somebody the other day, like we, we had what, like five seasons in a row. We go to the playoffs, multiple division championships. Go look how many premier free agents we signed in my 11 years that I was there. It, it's like, it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? So you think of that or how many big trades you make. I mean, the only big trade they make was losing a premier player. So the reality is, it's like what he was able to accomplish, I don't think gets the respect it really deserves considering what he was up against and how limited he was and how much success we had. And that's not an excuse. It's the truth. Because I look here at the Rams like, yes, we've been winning. And yes, we've had a lot of success. And, and yes, Sean McVay is a tremendous football coach. But I look at it like, man, Cincinnati, if we had any of that spending ability, um, goodness gracious, could we have been good? I mean, we, we could have been seriously good. Um, so it's just it's, – it's one of those things that you realize how unfair it is. And then you move to Sean McVay, and, man, what a, what a, just, a just a tremendous young coach he is. And, and uh, you want to talk about on the screws and polished and just gets football and understands those things. And, and obviously being a young, young coach, he's learning as he goes about different things and just, you know, seems to find a new way to handle something better every single year. It's like, man, he's always growing, always trying to adapt. Um, I couldn't be more impressed and, and uh, you know, just more like, man, this dude is going to have a lot of success when it all works out uh, in an unbelievable way. Um, so, you know, I look forward to watching that happen and hopefully getting to be a part of it. But, you know, with him, it's like one of those things, the first time I met him and was around him and really after our first year, I would joke with him and tell him all the time, like, hey, man, like, you, you know, you're, you're one of the closest things I've ever seen to being around Nick Saban. Like, you, you, you have that same really work ethic, the same kind of just day in and day out passion for the game. And, um, and just the, the, it's not just that all these other coaches didn't care about the game a lot, but your passion leads to like your work ethic. And it's um, unbelievable his ability to just keep adapting and growing and keeping that work ethic and they're moving in the right direction. Um, and so I, I, uh, like I said, if he keeps coaching, he's going to have a ton of success because, you know, I think a lot of people don't even realize too. It's like, if you really think of his success that he's had in these four years, how fast it's come, you know, really go back and look at how much draft capital they've even had during this time. Um, how much true salary cap space now they've created, but how much true salary cap space they've had with some of this to actually make significant moves outside of just trading draft capital, you know, it hasn't been much. And, and, and so to me, it's like if you give him a scenario where he starts getting draft capital and they start getting some money freed up um, and having some of these contracts work out for them, man, he's going to have, he's going to have a lot of success and uh, it, it's going to be tough to deal with because, I just think his passion and his attitude and the way he goes about things, you know, success is, is around there is on the horizon for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you kind of already alluded to it a little bit, but 
you know, the three of us, I think, you know, we are all kind of aspiring football coaches to some degree. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for the other two, but you know, we, we, we do, we do interview a lot of, you know, coaches as is. And I think the biggest piece that we've kind of learned is the, you know, the accountability part of it is just, you know, being uh, accountable for not only, you know, your, your, the team that you're coaching, but also to your other coaches, you know, and the responsibility factor that you have, and, and you are in a position of leadership. And, you know, I think I can speak for the other two is just like, we've learned probably more from, you know, those football coaches of, you know, incorporating life lessons, you know, yeah. from the football field and then, you know, relating that to what, what it is beyond it. So can definitely understand where you're coming from in that, in that respect. Yeah. I mean, you look at Sean, I mean, some of his, uh, like the pyramid or the compass or any of the things he's used, it's been the motto of our team. You know, in reality, I've always told people you could literally take those things and just apply them to life and like forget football. And, um, you know, just rearrange some of the words and it'd be a great template to use to just your daily life, like how to do things. And I think that was one of the most impressive things to me is that his ability to simplify things into how do you do things the right way and consistently. And, and, and if you can take those, those, those ideas, you know, that we're applying, not just from football, but in a way you attack business or life or the things you do, I can guarantee you, you can find some correlations where you're going to realize, man, that's, that's a great template for just being successful at whatever I do. Um, and so I think that his ability to do that and be on top of stuff like that and always take an accountability almost to a point where sometimes it's too much. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes him very endearing and why players want to play for him so much. You know, it's less about rules. It's less about regulations and, and restrictions. It's more about being yourself but being accountable and, and realizing when there's like, Hey, you can be yourself, but you can also be accountable when you're out of line or you can be accountable when you need to do things better. And nobody has to like walk around as, as a soldier and, and act like you can't be yourself and have a personality and those things like he almost cherishes the fact that you have a personality. He just wants you to be accountable and coachable and, and play with a certain effort and attitude and, and dedication that it takes to, to play winning football. And, I think it just simplifies things for guys to where they just enjoy work and they enjoy going to play the game and they enjoy getting to just be themselves. But at the same time, understanding that sometimes they're going to have to be accountable to, to the level of play that it takes to win. And I think one of the, one of the awesome things that we can relate with luckily, because we've had the experiences on this show um, at Springfield, a D3 organization that we played for our number one rule and standard was do right. Um, we were lucky enough to talk with Billy Honaker, who is the right tackle for Navy, and his number one rule for the team was choose the right. And now you're you've been doing it for 17 years in the NFL. You've been doing it longer than any of us have done it. And you're saying the same thing, like there's a certain standard when you sign up for the game that if you take it into life, then you can be successful. Um, I think that's just a really awesome thing that it's great to hear and it's great to kind of reiterate to show for people who don't understand the game, what comes with it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's a tough part, right? When you play professional sports, um, things can get, you know, really confusing as far as what's important and what's not. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things from my time being not only a captain in the league for a really, really long time over a decade, but also uh, being a part of the NFL union at one NFLPA union at one time, you know, and, and had, you know, finally got out of that, but, just the things you learn that are important to guys and important to the game. Like I've always said this, like 
you know, I, I'm a terrible negotiator of my contract with, with my agent always gets so upset because I'll get involved or something. And it's like, because I just, I'm a, like, I'll say this, I'm like an NFL purist. I just believe like, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, you're saying about doing right, that it, it's, you know, we're all making a lot of money and I'm not saying I'm not trying to make the kind of money that I, that I should make to play my position. But at the same time, it's like when you get to little decisions, like, Hey, you know, you know, is, is this like guaranteed or is this, this, or like, you know, what if you got hurt and you don't get every dime or what, you know, it's like to me in some ways, I just, I have always been the type that like, if you don't play, like I, I just, you know, it's tough for me to say that you deserve your full salary or you deserve like your, like the guys who play in the game should make money. You know, and and I guess it probably affected more the game when I was younger, how low salaries were compared to like somebody was getting paid. You know, when I got in the league, it was like minimum was like 260 or 250 or something. I think now it's like 600 or something crazy. And so, you know, when you get in the league, you'd have this player performance pool where like, if you played certain snaps, you'd get money from it. Right. Well, I always said this, like, why wouldn't player performance be, instead of being like a little side benefit that's really small, like, why wouldn't that be like 20-something percent of our cap? Because the reality is, like, shouldn't we negotiate off of a certain percentage and then the rest should be money that goes to pay guys who play in the game, like, who actually endure the snaps and the hits and the contact? And, like, to me, that just seems right. Like, it's not – Maybe it's not the way the quarterbacks get the most money possible. Maybe it's not the way your premier player on your team gets every dollar that he would want. But to me, it's the right thing for guys who actually play in football games to get financially rewarded for it. Because you've seen it too many times, right? The really high-end guys making a big salary and the league minimum guy, he gets hurt, misses the whole season, and the league minimum guy takes every single snap. And – makes you know a hundred of what that guy would have made right and there's no way for him to recruit that time or that money and that's why to me it's just when you talk about do right and be right by people it's like you know it's tough sometimes to get guys to see that doing right over doing with what you want in the moment um you know to make that decision and to me that's one of those things that kind of goes into that exact motto is it's like always making sure that we're doing right by everybody that plays this game, not just individuals, you know, um, because I think those individuals will get plenty of recognition and they get plenty of opportunity and money to make. Um, and we got to make sure that we do right by the 53 and, and not the important five or three, you know. hundred percent. It makes you wonder how much you would have got paid those years where you didn't give up any sacks and we're just killing dude on screens. <laughs> yeah the good days now i have to now i have to like grunt and moan when i get out on the screens because it doesn't feel good to run but uh no it, it it uh those used to be fun it's probably one of the best screen blockers i've ever seen your ability in space to just seal that edge it was kind of incredible what you guys were able to do uh back in cincinnati and still in la what you guys were able to do with you on screens i mean and just thinking back to some of the guys you played with and how long you've been playing, I was thinking like, I wonder how many of his teammates like know who Cedric Benson is. Oh, I know. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's funny when I bring up names like that, it always like is a good feeling and a horrific feeling because the reaction that their face has when they're like, wait a minute, you played with Cedric Benson. You know, it's like, I'm like, dude, 
you just looked like I was 90 years old by your face reaction, like calm down, you know, or, or Chad Johnson, you know, or TJ Hushmanzada or, you know, I mean, Justin Smith. I mean, you, you look at some of the guys I got a chance to play with. I mean, Delta O'Neill and, uh, you know, I mean, guys at uh, Tory James, like just names that are like, you know, people consider the 90s and early 2000 names. Um, Dexter Jackson, you know, from, you know, Super Bowl interceptions, like played safety for us when I was in Cincy. Like, you know, some of those names, it's just it's crazy. Uh, and it's just hilarious to me when guys hear them and then they're like, wait a minute, that dude played when I was in elementary school. I'm pretty sure like I had a Jersey of his or something, you know, I'm like, no, no, he played when I was a rookie in the league. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a humbling thing and a, and a cool thing at the same time to get to see the reactions people have. Yeah. I mean, we were, <laughs> we gotta be honest. We were talking about it before you got in here. I was like, wait, so if he got drafted in 06 and I started playing football in 07 and we're all done. Like the, just the, the ground you've covered, uh, you've outlasted a lot of people that are even younger than you. So it's, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, um, you think about this, I mean, what your normal draft pick is anywhere from 20 to, you know, 23 years old, probably be my guess. So you think about this, this, this draft class per se, um, if, if this is my, you know, 15 years ago, then most of these kids were five or six or four. Um, you know, when I started playing in the NFL, I mean, a lot of these kids, you know, some of them might not have been in kindergarten, uh, when I was a rookie in the NFL, I mean, pretty wild to think about. So first question for the quick hitters is best pass rusher you've ever gone against. Well, I'd have to go against, uh, it'd be really between two guys. There's only two guys that I would put in that list. Um, only because they're the two guys that have the most sacks against me in my career. Um, unfortunately, uh, it would have to be between Elvis Dumerville and Dwight Freeney. Wow. And I would give the nod to Dwight Franey just because, uh, you know, Elvis was a really good player for a while, but he was more of just a true a third down rusher guy, specialty player and um, later in his career. But Dwight was uh, really special, man. I used to say, like, you know, people don't – he didn't play in the right era for it to be talked about enough. But you look at AD or you look at some of these guys that, that have had the success they have on a win rate. I mean, you really look at, at the double teams and triple teams and the chip blocks that that guy got every single time you threw the football. It, it's pretty wild, I think, if people go back and look how much teams literally dictated what they did in the past game to Dwight Freeney and, and making sure he didn't have an effect. He was a heck of a player and, and uh, really tremendous. I mean, I, I appreciate you giving the uh, Connecticut native the nod there. Uh, I, Connecticut doesn't get a lot of love, but then uh... – when you're he saying that's pretty the, best special. Guy, the best guy you went against, I'm like, wow, that's a CT guy. Um, and kind of shifts right into our next quick hitter here. Um, I'm actually down in Alabama right now for grad school. Um, and I had never heard of a crawfish boil until I came down here. So that's our next one here. We had to Google this, but would you go with the crawfish boil or the Cincinnati chili? Well, here's the, the <laughs> confession. I don't like either. <laughs> oh, really? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. Not, I am like the most southern, non-southern person ever. Uh, so, I, well, I would say that's a little more Cajun, but still, I'm. I would go with crawfish over the Cincinnati chili because the Cincinnati chili is just baby food, like mushed up in a <laughs> blender. It's, it's gross. All right, sorry. Those people grew up eating it. It's nasty. There's cinnamon in it. That's not good. Okay. I'm glad at we, least, we had at least a that. crawfish bowl. <laughs> All right, at least that I can take the potatoes and a little bit of the garlic bread, and I can dip it in that really good aioli sauce they make, and man, man that I can do. I just you know, the crawfish, I don't mind it. It's the peeling, like I'm like, dude, this is getting so old. Like if somebody will come kill all these things, I'll eat them in one bite. But it's just not worth the effort. <laughs> Love that. Uh, next question: uh, funniest funniest teammate you uh, ever got to play with? Oh, man, that's an easy one. Ocho Cinco, uh, Chad Johnson. I mean, I, I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I played with him during the era that uh, he really started all of it. You know, I used to tell people, like, if this guy played when Twitter and Instagram and all that was like, <laughs> man, I, it would have yeah. been unbelievable. Like, he's still, to me, the most interesting and comedic, just fun player that I can possibly think of over the last 20 years. Like, he would have dominated social media. He still does, but he would have absolutely crushed it while he was playing because of how good he was at just entertaining and being himself. And then, uh, so your national champion LSU team versus the most recent one with Joe Burrow in a game, who would you take? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, it's, it was such a different game. Like, you know, I think of like what we did on offense and what they did and then defensively how we played compared to them. Um, you know, I would have to go with our team. I mean, I think that, uh, you really look at how good we were and what I believe in the game that matters. You look at uh, our offensive line and the success we had with guys going to the NFL and then our defensive line and how successful that defensive line was. I mean, yeah. you're talking about oh, some yeah. pretty special football players. Uh, if you really go across the guys, not just the starters, but every single guy that played on that defensive front during that game, I mean, you got a lot of top draft picks. And, uh, and then you look in the secondary between Corey Webster and Travis Daniels and a lot of those good football players and then even the skill positions. We still had a lot of guys picked in the first round and, and tremendous. So I, I go with us because I believe in running the football and I believe in defense. And uh, I think that's how that team was built. And we'd be able to we'd be able to manage the game, cut it down a little short. And Joe Burrow would have a tough time running for a bunch of top draft picks. <laughs> that's a great answer. And then uh, favorite stadium you've ever played in? Oh, man. You know what? Um I'll tell you what, in, in college, I think it'd be really tough. I mean, I think Death Valley was such a cool experience. I don't know that many other places were, were better than that. I mean, I think that really my two favorites, if I had to say in the NFL, playing in Baltimore and, and the band, when they'd have the band there and the flags and all that, like, that was really cool to have like a college experience a little bit in an NFL stadium. It was always just such a cool, and that was also during the Ray Lewis, Ed Reed era. I mean, so much hype and just it was just such a like a competitive game and uh energy and meant so much that was really like one of the coolest experiences going to baltimore but if i had to say like my lifelong stadium is is the same thing i said after we won the nfc championship it's it's not the superdome it's Whitstone. you know it's it's i won three state championships there you know i i won five high school football games in that stadium i won a national championship in that stadium won bowl games in that stadium uh, and and now won an NFC championship and, and multiple games against the Saints in that stadium. 
you know, it's like that place is uh, somewhere that to my life, you know, almost every single championship I've ever won. Well, every single championship I've ever won has been in that stadium. And so, uh, you know, that's a special place to me. I mean, I'm obviously joking, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it is, it, it's, it's uh, the Superdome is a really cool venue and a place that's meant a lot to my life as far as everything I've accomplished. That's awesome. Uh, next one. Uh, is there a role model for you as when you, were you a rookie, when you first came into the league, anyone who you really looked up to? Well, I think there's a lot of guys that just do things in a way or carry themselves in a way that you're, you're like, man, that's like, it was always special scene. I can remember Ray Lewis, like how much, uh, you know, to me, he, he talked a lot, you know, but, but I'm not going to say that like all the time I thought like, you know, it was always necessary, but to see how much the guys around him, like stood up for him and admired him and like his defense. If you got anywhere close to Ray Lewis, I mean, people would flip out in a game. Like you, you didn't touch that dude. That's how their defense treated it. And it was pretty special to see how much of a leader he was for them. I mean, seeing different guys like that and just like throughout my career, young, like understanding how much people revered him, you know, and, and how much people like, man, those guys, the way they led, the way they did things. Um, obviously Carson Palmer was just like the way he handled himself was so impressive you know, early in my career, I thought it was really unfortunate the way it all ended because I think that tarnished some of that, you know, what a leader I thought he was. And, and then, you know, Willie Anderson obviously was a guy who, you know, mentored me and was a tremendous football player. And, and, you know, it's just, I, it's an absolute shame that this guy ain't in the hall of fame and it hasn't been a finalist um, because, you know, to find a better right tackle in the game, you know, it's just – it's it's uh, unbelievable, really. I mean, you really think about his career and how long he played and the success level he had. Like, I, I got a lot of respect for Tony Vasselli. He's a good player. But for people to even possibly think that Willie Anderson is not way above that guy in the sense that when you play twice the amount of length of time and play at the level that Willie Anderson did, I mean, put on some run-blocking tape and watch this guy destroy people. Like, not, not, not block their guy. Absolutely just – mash people like the like the incredible hulk in running game and then never get beat in the past just lock down pass rushers after pass rushers after pass rushers it's it's shocking to me that this guy's not not like one of the lead candidates as far as a lineman to be a hall of famer and it's only because of the level of success he didn't have as a player yeah and it's it's tough because you don't have those stats to back it up i mean if he was a guy where if you could track you know his stats and you know if they had all the grading back then, he'd be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. And that is what's tough sometimes with those O-linemen and where you can really get lost. Yeah, but, he played, know, he played in a bad him. era there. You know, like it, it's a bad era because there weren't any stats and there wasn't a lot of media and there wasn't a lot of coverage, especially being in a team like Cincinnati that wasn't successful at all. You know, you look at Joe Thomas, he benefited from being in a bigger media era, being a top pick, having a great career. But the reality is, like, Joe didn't win anything. I mean, he was on horrific teams, you know, so – you know, but you look at their careers, like it'd be hard pressed to say Willie Anderson wasn't every bit as good as Joe Thomas and probably better in the run game for sure. And Joe might have been a more natural pass protector. But I mean, you go really look at their career and evaluate the tape. Willie Anderson was moving some folks. And to me, that's what you see. The true Hall of Famers are those kind of guys that not only did they block their guy in the pass game, but they were moving fo folks from point A to point B in a hurry. And uh, Willie was doing that in a really special way. That's incredible. Um, the next one, obviously, this this all started with a little joke this morning. You trying to shuffle in to find your computer and your laptop. 
Um, but obviously there's some, some things that come with being a dad that you can't predict, like trying to find your technology scattered around the house. But if you had right. to put your finger on it, what is your favorite part about being a dad? Um, you know, the same thing that's my favorite part about being a football player, growing and adapting and, and finding ways to be better at being their father and being better at being a husband and, and realizing that uh, I'm a work in progress. And uh, you know what? They're not expecting me to be perfect, but they're expecting me to, to, to pour into them and to devote myself to helping them get where they want to go and, and, and get what they want to be able to do in life. And to me, that's that's like number one thing. You know, and I and I said this at the Super Bowl and people mocked it, you know, and tried to make it about me being upset about the game, which I thought was like the funniest thing ever, mm-hmm. because I had literally just been asked, like, how you I'm like, dude, my head's high. I feel great. Like, I don't I don't feel sorry for myself about anything. And then somebody asked me, they're like, you know, how do you move on with your life having lost the Super Bowl? And I was like, dude, end of the day, I'm going to die. And we all are. <laughs> and that's just the truth. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why that's like so bad. But that's the truth. And you know what? How many Super Bowls I have and how many times I've been to the Pro Bowl, like that ain't going to matter a damn thing to me. What's going to matter to me is like, do my kids treat people with love and respect? Are they the kind of people that, that you know what, I would, I would feel proud for them to be? Um, you know, and did I respond in adversity to people and to situations the way I'd be proud of? Like, was I always there for my friends? Was I always there for people around me, regardless of how big time you are, regardless of how important you think you are? Who are you as a friend? Who are you as a father? Who are you as a husband? Like, and it doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means that that's your intention. And to me, that's the number one thing. So the greatest part about being a dad is just the overall journey, like just being a part of the journey, being in it with them and trying to help them just like they helped me go through life the best way possible. And to me, that's, that's the greatest part of playing ball. That's the greatest part of being a dad, a husband, everything is just like no stress. Like we're all going to struggle. We're all going to have tough times, but can we always make sure we just pull together and fight in the same direction, you know? And, and uh, to me, that's, that's what makes it special. This means so much to us. Uh, You are incredible. You truly are, you know, you're a hall of famer in our book as we'd say, you know, and we're not just saying this, we're big fans. Like what I Appreciate like it. the way you block on screens and runs as a left tackle, like we know you get paid to pass block, but that's that's what the fans that's the heart. Yeah, fans that's the heart. heart. See that. Thanks, <laughs> and, fellas. Uh, just uh, one one quick thanks. I mean, it, it, this has been awesome for us. We've been lucky enough through this show, and I know you're a busy guy, sorry to hold you here. Um, but ten months ago you were one of the first fifty or so people to follow us on Instagram, and now you, we got the opportunity to talk to you and kind of what this means for us and the step in our lives. Um, just know that even at the level that you're at and you've been doing it as long as you have a few guys who hung it up much, much before you did. Um, we really look up to you and we can't appreciate you spending your time enough with us. So. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. Thank y'all so much. I wish y'all the best. Yes. yes. Have, have a great, great season. Thank you, man. Take care yeah. of the knee. Hey, appreciate it, man. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. All right, y'all take it easy. Take it easy. Thank you.